This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Right On, showcasing the work and lives of Otago and Southland writers. Tune in for news and interviews with your local writers on the second Wednesday of every month from noon to one and repeated the following Sunday at 11am. Right On with Vanda Simon, brought to you by the New Zealand Society of Authors and kindly sponsored by the great team at Otago University Press. The university bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe-atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Oh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lovers Corner, the university bookshop is evil. You have been warned. Good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to Otago Access Radio and right on with Vanda Simon, which is the show of the Otago Southland branch of the New Zealand Society of Authors and sponsored by that fabulous team at the University Bookshop. Listen in as we get to spend the next hour delving into that wonderful world of books. Lawrence Fernley is an award-winning novelist and essayist who lives in Dunedin and I've had the pleasure of chatting with Lawrence a number of times over the years about her books and today we celebrate her recent novel, Wintertime. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Thanks, Fender. Now, I'm going to read the cover, um, back cover blurb of the book first <laughs> just to give our audience um, out there a, a little taste of what Wintertime is about. The SUV advanced without slowing it past. The driver probably didn't even register him. Roland watched until it reached the canal crossing, where the curve of the hill and the trees swallowed it up. And then he was alone with his frosted breathing, the mist, another breath, a sob. Having returned to the Mackenzie country to deal with the unexpected death of his brother, Roland has had more than enough on his plate. He could do without the demands of a cantankerous neighbour, the complaints of his partner back in Australia, and discovering that someone is impersonating him online, stirring up the locals against him. Even the weather is hostile, rendering roads unpassable, and his old home an icebox, the fire offering little comfort. And yet, when cycling on the empty roads, cocooned in a snow-muffled landscape, he finds he can confront what he actually feels. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so now your previous novels have had this kind of like that underlying theme of something around the senses. You know, last time I think we yep. talked about scented, which was yep. about a sense of smell. Does wintertime follow the same kind yep. of exploration? So wintertime was based on touch. Um, it started off really, like a lot of my novels, they don't start off with a plot or a character. It starts off with an image I have in my head. Um, we've centred it was a, a person's um, loft studio um, where they lived that was based in an old wool store, so it had that smell of wool in the in the wood. And winter time came after my mother died, and I was thinking about her a lot. In the early holidays, we used to have um, around Takapo, and um, I was thinking about that sort of crusty snow, you know, when you stand on it and it's got a really sort of hard crust and you fall through and that's kind of quite sharp on your ankles. But when you look into the hole, there's that beautiful blue colour from the snow and ice. So the whole novel was just really um, built up around that one image of a footprint in the snow. And and touch, so touch is working in terms of temperature, you know, the feeling of cold, but also touch the way... Um, people relate to one another and family 
mostly family relationships, you know, those, those very important sort of um, relationships. Very, um, listeners will probably be quite amazed that, to think that you can build an entire novel based on just that one mental image. Yeah, well, it's funny. I think that's really um, how I've always built up novels. I remember writing um, Edwin and Matilda, which was set in the uh, Mania Toto, and just building that up from this image I had of a pair of corduroy trousers, that sort of soft brown trousers, and then from there thinking of the person who wore them and then tussocks, you know, warm tussocks blowing in the wind and that type of thing. So that's probably how I always um, come to a novel and it probably explains a lot about why my plots aren't necessarily as well developed as a lot of plot-driven novelists. You know, a lot of my novels are more sensory and and more descriptive and tend to sort of... um, Quite, be quite slow moving, and they don't have that kind of really tight plot with a with a big resolved ending. They're kind of a bit more open than that. Mm. And coming back to that idea of you know working on a theme of the senses, do you like that as a, like a mental challenge uh, when doing a novel? Thinking, okay, I'm going to approach it from this side. Yeah, I do. I I thought that it might be a bit gimmicky, but um, it, it's been a really interesting process because it sort of makes you think about how sentences are constructed and things. So with touch, um, not only that that sense of people touching and, and the temperature, but trying to make the writing very textured and trying to build up sort of textures within the writing. And at the moment, I'm, I'm writing a novel that's based on the sound component. And so thinking very much about the rhythm of language and cadences of language and words and and how words play off one another. So it's kind of interesting on all different levels um, for me as the writer because not only are you writing the plot and the character and the locations, but also you're looking at the language itself. So it's it's a really interesting puzzle and I'm really enjoying it. Now that, oh, having read Winter Time, I'm going to have to go and have, now that you've mentioned about, you know, the, the physical presence on the page, I'm going to have to have a little flick through and, and, and yeah. look at that and explore that. See, uh, there, there's probably quite a lot of clauses that sort of build up, mm. you know, and layer upon it one on top of another so that you get these different layers and that kind of thing. Um, so the sentences aren't, aren't very clipped. They're kind of a little bit um, rambly and yeah and, and layered and I think that's what I was trying to to go for and also that kind of layering and, and those long clauses sort of lends itself to um, a bit of forward motion as well which is quite nice which kind of relates to the kind of the, the wheels turning because he goes everywhere by bicycle mm. so it's that same kind of rhythm as biking and that wheel turning kind of thing but slipping because he bikes in the snow so the wheels are slipping and stuff like that. And in a lovely kind of way, that also ties into Roland's own thought patterns with all the stuff that's yeah. going on, because you know that's kind of a bit up and down and, and a lot of <laughs> yeah, and a lot of internal sort of you know. There's not much in terms of him talking. You know, he's he's um, away from his partner who's in Sydney, and I wanted the contrast of the really wet Sydney with the really cold um, Mackenzie. Um, so. Um, he's sort of separated from his partner a lot of the time in the book and so is communicating through telephone. So that's another kind of touch thing, you know. And when and when he's with his partner, he's they're going through a real cold patch. So there's that kind of side to it as well. And also being um, finding that, you know, he's really the last 
member of his family alive and that sense of feeling like an orphan, which is sort of, you know, even as an adult, when my mum died um, just before I started the novel, even though I was, you know, 56 or 57 or whatever, you suddenly have an awareness that you're kind of orphaned and the Mm. people that know you and, and have the family history are suddenly not there. So that sort of thing as well. Because, yeah, that, that is a, a, quite an awakening to, to have, having experienced that myself. Yeah. Now, your title, Wintertime, and, and this ties in beautifully to what you've just said, is you know, very apt because it's that season physically that Roland finds himself in, but also metaphysically. Yeah. So, you know, how much did that subject of grief play into your setting? Oh, I think a lot. I think, um, I mean, the whole book was a way to work through um, the grief I was feeling when my mother died. You know, I really wrote it as a response to, to that image and thinking about those winter holidays. And so working through um, that grief of my mother, um, and that was really how the book came about in a way. But then halfway through the book, sort of almost literally halfway through the book, I became very sick with cancer. And so the book was put on hold for a year. So um, it sort of started out to work through the grief of losing my mother and it's kind of ended up as a way to distract me um, once I started getting well enough to write again because it was about a year when I was just too sick to write um, to not only finish the project because I don't like things hanging over me at all, they kind of really niggle away, um, but as a, a way of writing, healing me. So that was really important too. And did you find then, you know, having working your way back and finding your stride again after um, cancer, that that tied into Roland's development as a character through that latter half of the book? Uh, It's really interesting. It's it's kind of funny because in the time that I wasn't writing, I was basically just lying on the couch or in bed, you know, daydreaming and and sleeping. And so um, a bit like when you write a short story, you tend, because it's, you know, a shorter um, piece of fiction, you when I do a short story, I tend to sort of work it all out in my head before I start writing. And so the latter half of this book, I was kind of working out and almost writing in my head before I started getting back into writing it out on the computer again. And so although I wasn't making notes or writing in a notebook like I often do, I, I, was, I, was, um, I was able to kind of work out different plot developments and things like that whilst I was sick so when I did get back into writing it was almost like I knew the direction the book was going to go in which is something that is really unusual for me because you know I've just finished um, the first draft of this other novel and you know the end always comes as a complete surprise to me (laughs) (laughs) because I never knew it was there you know I never know from one day to the next what's what's going to happen I'm totally led by you know, the the headlights, seeing as far as the headlights, yeah. Before we uh, all came in to talk in studio, we were having a chat on the sofa about how your characters get under your skin and they yeah. can, like, push you along. So did you find that you know, Roland, in his own way, actually was helping you in your recovery? Oh, for sure. I mean, one of the things when I was really sick, you know, and in, in, in hospital as well, I was thinking, right, well, this is – you know, traditionally the time when you have a bit of an epiphany and you, you know, find God or whatever. And the only epiphany I had um, was I decided that writing actually was really important to me. And um, by writing, I don't mean publishing and, and, and reviews and funding and, you know, that kind of 
stuff, but just the physical act of writing and putting down stories. Um, and I think it's true that thing, you know, you, a lot of people write to find out the things that are bugging them or they write to understand their own lives. And I think that came with wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> now, the novel um, is set in the Mackenzie country in a town called Masariki, yeah. which is fairly recognisable well, as another pre-existing to town. It. So why? Yes. I had to change it because at the opening of the book, um, the character Eddie um, drives into a canal and drowns. And so originally it was going to be set in Tekapo. And then um, when I first started, which was back in 2019, um, you know, I just assumed the canals were still, the canal roads were still open. And of course they're not open to the public anymore. They've been closed for a couple of years and I hadn't realised that. And I thought, well, if I have him driving into the canal, that's going to, you know, create a bit of a problem. And also I wanted to have a house by a certain architect called Humphrey Hall in the town, and there is no house by that architect in the town. And also, you know, just little things, you, you know, like if I had a shop and the shop wasn't there. So I thought um, I'll, I'll change the name and then I can kind of put in what I want really, and it doesn't matter if the shop's in the wrong place or the cafe's open at 7 when it wouldn't be open till 10, you know. Because you know your readers would pick you up on I, that. I, I sure do. Get those emails. Oh, yeah, the, the hut builder taught me a good lesson about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So you'll be going, few that you checked on the canals. Yeah, a few that I checked on the canals <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and all those sorts of things. Now, one of the fabulous elements in this novel is your description of the elements and the cold. I mean, it literally sort of, you know, gave me the goosey bumps and made me shiver. So uh, what did you draw upon for that? Uh, a lot of it was from my memories of being a little kid. So when I was a little kid, we lived in Fairley. But even after we moved to Christchurch, we used to come back Um back to the sort of Mackenzie and Aoraki and, and camp. And my memories of camping, for some reason, are always of winter. When, you know, you'd go to bed when it got dark and you'd wake up and you'd think, oh, God, you know, how much longer till daybreak? And, you know, it would only be 9 o'clock at night or something, <laughs> you know. And, and um, you know, the inside of the tent would freeze and you'd have that frost on the tent and all those sorts of things and your feet would be so cold that they'd sort of go hard and then, you know, as they were thawing out, you get... And also, like, you remember how cold you used to get biking to school mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, having really cold feet and also in Christchurch, you know, being cold as well. So I just wanted to draw on all that side of it, but also the beauty of it... Um, you know, those hoarfrosts when you get the ice on the fence lines or the, you know, and the sun comes out and everything glitters and, you know, I love that. But also um, that sort of disorientating feeling when you're in a kind of a, a whiteout and you can't mm. see the horizon and you can't really tell where you f whether you're walking on snow or sky and that kind of thing. So just drawing on those experiences. And also when I was little, um, um I, I learned to ski. We, I used to have a little pair of wooden skis and it was when you used to have to walk up pretty much to a lot of the ski fields around that area because they didn't have this, the roads put in properly. Or you'd, And um, I just remember how cold 
that was as well, just miserably cold because my ski boots were just really gum boots with laces and oh, <laughs> two pairs just, of socks. It was so cold. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the, the the amazing things that you have done in your life was being in that artist to Antarctica fellowship in yeah. 2004. So, you know, I was naturally sort of wondering, oh, were memories of that also intertwined? Well, that was that was surprisingly warm by comparison because the thing about being in the Antarctic in summer is that the sun's always shining. Mm. So when you're in your tent, it's nice and it's really cozy, like 25 degrees or something, because the sun's beating down on it all day. Whereas in the Mackenzie in winter, you know, the sun's sort of gone and you've been in the shade. And, you know, it's a classic thing when you're camping and you can see the sun on, on the hills in the distance, but everything around you is completely frosted and just frozen. And it ta- seems to take about three hours for the sun to slowly <laughs> creep across the plains to get to you. Yeah, And that was one of the th- wonderful things I enjoyed about reading this book was, you know, you, you got that sense and that whiteout one, especially when he was out on his bike in mad conditions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to tell him, no, Roland, don't go out but, in that. Yeah, get a driver's license. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I I haven't um, biked in a proper whiteout, but I have biked in really cold conditions and it's pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, relationships do hold a large space in this novel. Now, as you mentioned earlier, he's got a relationship with his siblings and his parents, you know, his partner in Australia, his neighbour, and newfound friends that he makes when he returns yeah. um, to Matariki. So how did you approach the complexities of these? Um, I, I think I was just really led by the characters. One of the things that, that also started this um, this story was that um, I, I sometimes um, – write comments on this perfume blog that I follow. And at one point, somebody um, wrote, replied to one of my comments, said, hey, I'm really enjoying your Instagram account and and what you've been writing in your blog. And I thought, well, that's really odd because I don't have a blog or an Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if someone's impersonating me, you know, or just Mm. lifting the stuff that I write on this perfume site, you know, and, and creating something. And I had, you know, I'm not on Facebook or any of that kind of stuff because a lot of this novel's to do with his identity sort of being targeted. And I thought, how on earth would I go about checking on that kind of mm. stuff or removing it? Or, and I just found it completely, compli- you know, so complicated. I thought, oh, I just can't be bothered <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> for myself personally. And then I thought, well, knowing him, he probably couldn't be bothered either. But, you know, his whole life gets really kind of messed up by this person who's kind of, or persons, I mean, how would you know mm. all these comments where they're coming from, um, sort of making these attacks on the community when his brother dies because his brother's... Um, um, is a tar, he shoots tar and there's been quite a lot of controversy about, you know, culling tar in that sort of area, um, whether some should be left for hunters or, you know, whether they're a menace and a pest. So it was sort of drawing on all that sort of political stuff as well. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because, you know, there is, despite your saying that you sometimes feel that your novels are a bit meandery and things like that, but I found that there was a lot of tension. Yeah. Um, in this novel, and part of that was around the issues of someone stirring up doubt and this impersonating him. Um, so how um, did you actually purposefully build the tension or did that kind of come organically? Um, I sort of um, built it. And also, um, I mean, I just read Margie Thompson's great book on whale oil, which was a real um, 
this fantastic book for anyone who hasn't read it. But also when I was sick, I started reading. I always read Australian fiction. I, I read, I'd say probably 80% of my reading is Australian fiction. I just really love it because of the sense of place and also the point of view that a lot of Australian fiction has. And when I was sick, I also started reading a lot of thrillers, which um, isn't my normal, isn't what I normally read. But I found them that I could I could follow them without, um, you know, I like the story. So I was reading people like Jane Harper and mm-hmm. Gary Disher and um, uh, Chris Hammer and Peter Temple. All those kind There's of some fantastic Australian writers. Yeah, really good Australian mm. writers. Really, really good and really good at plot mm. and good at character and not too stereotyped. And they don't always do that thing um, that I don't like is when I've read a couple of I've read quite a lot of Scottish thrillers as well. You know where every chapter ends with you know a phone call or a, a note left on a car windscreen or you know mm. and you sort of know that that's going to propel you. But anyway, so they're quite subtle. And um, so I was, I was kind of studying how to build up tension as well as I was reading. So that was quite an interesting thing to do too. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, with the tension and the, the characterisation, do you find after the fact that the characters in your books stay with you, or are you able to, once you'd finished with Roland, sort of? pop him aside and then move on to the next project. How much mental overlap do you oh, find in your novels I and think your what happens with me is I kind of feel very close to the characters. Um, and what's happened in my case is I tend to um, – it's almost like I've populated the bottom half of the South Island with characters. So wherever I go, you know, if I go through the – you know, through Ranfurly and Waipiata, I sort of see Edwin and Matilda. And if I go down to Invercargill, I see Maggie from Mother's Day. And if I go through towards Tianau, I see Warwick and Dean from Butler's Ringlet and, and the Mackenzie, you know. So I kind of see these people almost like ghosts and spirits still there afterwards. But um, I, I don't sort of it's kind of I get a sense of closure, I think, when I write the last page. Um, and it often makes me quite sad. You know, like it can be quite sort of not overwhelming but quite a sort of sense of loss or grief when you finish a book, I think, because it's been such a big part of your life and they've seen you through and then it's kind of like you're shutting the door on them. You're not killing them. It's not like you're putting down a favourite dog but it's kind of like you're putting them back on the shelf almost literally, I guess, and uh, you miss them. Yeah, you miss them. Mm. Well, that's um, great. Thank you so much, Lawrence. It's been an absolute pleasure again talking about wintertime and very much look forward to um, your next work. Not putting pressure on for (laughs) you to get that completed. Yeah, that's set in um, the West Coast in a place that isn't Franz Joseph. Uh, Wink, wink. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Vanda. We're going to take a short music break. We'll be back soon. It's a story I know We all leave and let go There is nothing to hold us 
University Bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Oh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lover's Corner, the University Bookshop is evil. You have been warned. Welcome back. You're listening to Otago Access Radio and right on with Vanda Simon, the show of the Otago Southland branch of the New Zealand Society of Authors and sponsored by that great team at the University Bookshop. Ronan Wiley Gibb is a bookseller and book buyer at the wonderful University Bookshop and, of course, an avid reader. And we regularly have chats about what we've been reading and recommend. So today we'll be chatting about books and hopefully giving you some ideas for Christmas book buying and, of course, that very important thing, holiday reading. Bronwyn, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? I'm good and lovely to see that the... um, the University Bookshop is back into the original store, looking all very swish yeah. and nice. And the scaffolding is off the building, so we have our windows back. They're a bit dusty at the moment, but somebody's going to come and clean them. So we're, it's very exciting that we've got natural light coming in the front of the shop and we're able to have window displays again. So that's, that's exciting, yeah. Yeah. Yes, because I know how tempting the window displays are. <laughs> well, yes, and and some of them are some of the things in the window are things that I'm going to talk about today. So you know, it's exciting. Fantastic. So the the Christmas season, of course. So um, you know, we're always thinking about buying book gifts for other people yes. and buying book gifts for ourselves. Like yes. me, I always <laughs> buy myself a book and wrap it up and put it under the yep. tree. So what books can you tell us about today? Well, let's start with some fiction, and there's a couple of books that have been out now for a while, but I, I noticed that people are, are buying them as gifts for, for Christmas, and that is the Maggie O'Farrell, The Marriage Portrait, yeah. about the true life of, uh, it's based on the true life of Lucrezia de' Medici, who died when she was 16 in the 15th century, and as soon as she died, there was this 
rumor that started going around medieval Europe that she had been killed by her husband. Um, and so this this book unpacks that. And 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 Maggie O'Farrell does a wonderful job of of describing the Renaissance era. Um, the, the intellectual ferment and, and the excitement of living somewhere like Florence, where all this new stuff, or new new to Europe stuff, was was being discovered and brought brought back to Europe, and and people were being so interested in things. So that's one of them. And the other one that has been out for oh since February, but it just goes and goes and goes. Is the Lessons in Chemistry by, by Bonnie Garmus, and that is the most wonderful story set in 1960 um, about a woman who's a chemist. She is given an extremely hard time in her university and ends up leaving and ends up becoming one of the first um, television cooks and decides that she's going to start empowering women by what, what she talks about as she's doing these cooking demonstrations on TV. And she talks about, she doesn't so much give cooking demonstrations as give chemistry demonstrations because, of course, cooking is just chemistry. So that. It, it, and it, the character Elizabeth Zott is wonderful and people just fall in love with her. And there's some really serious things and theme, th things that happen in the book and, and serious themes, but it's dealt with cleverly and quirkily and you just race through the book and it's it's just a great read. So those two are ones that have been out for a while that people are buying, I've noticed. Um, the new Barbara Kingsolver, I adored it. Um, I haven't really, really, really liked one of her books for quite a while. Um, the Poisonwood Bible was not my favourite of hers. Um, and this new one, Demon Copperhead, is amazing. It's sort of based on the on Dickens's David Copperfield. But it's set in the Appalachian Mountains, which is where Kingsolver is from. And... Um, Demon is a young boy, and it's it's the story of him growing up, really, and observing and becoming part of the opioid epidemic, which which happened because he was around um, when doctors were being sold oxycontin as this amazing thing that will that will take care of uh, not addictive and will take care of any difficulties you have. And then, of course, it started to become really obvious that actually it was even more addictive than opium and morphine and heroin and all those other things. Um, it, it's beautiful. Demon is the most wonderful character. You just fall in love with him, and um, it's it's a great piece of writing. It's quite amazing. I, I think it's better. I, I thought it was better than Poisonwood Bible. Mm. Mm. I've been, um, and, well, I was going to say, I've been looking at, um, having brought a few books and hopefully getting to read them over the holidays. But um, one of the ones that I have got is um, Before You Knew My Name by Jacqueline Bloodlitz. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, because she won the Naya Marsh Award for Best First Book and also took out the Naya Marsh Award for Best Book as well. And she's been getting a lot of um, overseas recognition for this, this novel. So I'm looking forward to reading that to uh, see how oh, I think you'll love it. it. It's it's really interesting. It's a really interesting take on a crime novel, and she does it very well. Um, it has shades of the lovely bone bones, huh. um, but it, it's 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 different than that. And and I I thought it was an excellent um, an excellent thing. Um, and once again, that's it's nice to see New Zealand. Um, 
crime. It's not. I mean, it's set in London. It's not. It's not set and or is it set in New York? Sorry, I can't remember. Um, I think it's New York. Um, it's not. Um, it's not set in New Zealand, but it's by a New Zealander, and it's nice to see New Zealand crime writers like yourself and others um, bestriding the world. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. You aim, take, we t- you aim to take the world over. Yes, exactly, exactly. And the other. Um, Jane Harper, the Australian crime writer, she's got a new one out for Christmas as well. It's called Exiles, and it's it's fantastic. It's it's really good and has it's a, it's a standalone. And it, it, the thing that people always talk about with her is how well she writes about the different Australian habitats and um, and wildlife and and wild places. And it's it's the same thing again. And yeah, I, I just can't believe she keeps writing a good book after good book. It's quite amazing. <laughs> it's such mm. a gift that being able to mm-hmm. um, just describe things. I know with her other books, you just feel like you're sinking into that landscape and it's seamless. Yes. And and, yeah. it, and it's hard to describe to you because actually she doesn't go on and on about it. No, and and she does, and she's she's quite elegant and spare in her writing, and there's not a huge and huge amount of description, but you're given a real sense of what her, the different landscapes in her different books, what what that is like. So, yeah, interesting. Now, one of the things, you know, thinking about, you know, people are always thinking about Christmas gifts for people, and one of the things that I treated myself to that the University Bookshop has wonderful things is, you know, your classic books, but with gorgeous gorgeous covers so I have yes. never read Little Woman oh. um, by Louisa May Alcott I'd seen yeah. variations of the movies and absolutely loved them but I thought I really do need to read the book so I had been in about a month ago and um, got a beautiful edition with this gorgeous tactile cover that you just want to sit there and pat mm-hmm. <laughs> so your classic books um, are always yes. a bit of a winner yeah, they're they're great for Christmas, and particularly we we find um, we have versions of them in the adult fiction, and we have adult fiction sort of classical fiction section, but we also have a, a classics in section in the children's room, and a number of the same books. So we also have Little Women and Secret Garden and Peter Pan and all those sorts of things in 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 covers and and editions that appeal to youngsters now and it's really interesting the 10 the 9 10 12 year olds they love reading them and they're so amazed and interested in these in these stories they're set when they don't have phones there's no tv um nothing is easy um yeah it's it's really interesting um how much those those work as as gifts for kids even kids who are not particularly um perhaps reluctant readers, um, they can be really useful for that, especially if somebody's going to read read them to them and um, leave them out at a perhaps enticing place so that they um, then perhaps go and pick the book up themselves. Yeah, interesting. Lure them into them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes. So um, I do like I do like a good edition of a, of a classic. It's kind of, it's kind of lovely. I can and, see myself um, just being enticed to buy the same book in as many different covers as I can. Yes, yes. And have have you started reading it yet, or you got, it's still on your pile? It's it's on my mountain. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I think you'll enjoy it once you get mm. to it. I'm sure that that will be lovely. Um, in terms of nonfiction, um, I've been reading 
and enjoying The Book of Roads and Kingdoms, um, which is by Richard Fiddler. And he wrote a book about Constantinople um, called um, Ghost Empire and a book about Iceland called Saga Land and a book about Prague called The Golden Maze. And this one is, is sort of about the golden age of Islamic ex exploration um, and, and people going out from Baghdad and going out to the ends of the known earth um, and then writing back and reporting back. Um, when, and this is in the early, early few hundred years of the caliphate in, in um, Central Asia. And, and um, it, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's absolutely fascinating, these, these people going out and what they write back about meeting people in China and going into the Caucasus and going um, through to Vienna and places like that. It, it's a beautiful and it has the most beautiful cover and it's really fascinating. Mm. Yes. Mm. Well, well, some of the little non-fiction books, and again, you know, thinking in terms of gifts for only $15, um, that I have been enjoying reading a variety of is the um, BWB or yes. book texts. Yes. I find them very good. They're non-fiction books. Um, a number of them are like series of essays by um, prominent New Zealand writers. For example, one of them I've got here is Fragments from a Contested Past, Remembrance, mm. Denial and New Zealand History with Joanna Kidman, Vincent O'Malley, who recently won the Prime Minister's Award for um, mm. uh, nonfiction, and other authors. You know, if you're wanting something a bit thought-provoking that might change your way of thinking, I would find them a really good go-to series of books. Yeah, they, and they're great. And as you say, they're about $15. and they're just enough. Mm. They're, they're, it, it's it's an, it's sort of an essay size, a, a long essay. It it it's just enough. It's not a huge book with lots and lots of chapters, and it's just enough and sets you off and and finding and thinking, finding out more and thinking about about the different subjects. And there's a range of subjects, and and she's they've got really interesting people to um, write about really interesting things. Yeah, mm. and and to do it and to do it in a way that. Um, encourages people to engage with the subject uh, and and all sorts of subjects it's, it's worthwhile having a browse through um that we've got we've got them all in one place and it's worthwhile mm. having a browse through and seeing seeing what there is it's um yeah fascinating and um surrender by bono is the, um is ah. the big is the big um pop star biography this year yeah. or autobiography um i i haven't I had a quick look at it, but I, I was never a particular U2 fan, so I, I don't know. I, but people who, who really were might find it really interesting. And apparently it's really well written and he's really honest and sort of irreverent and really and talks about his life because he's had a very happy and settled home life and domestic life in between, you know, running around and um being a pop star and doing a number <laughs> of things to to which and to and people sort of take the mickey out of them, doing a, a number of things actually to save the world, which is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, which yeah. is quite a lovely take because we so often hear about those people in the public eye and you know, yeah, particularly yeah. in music industry who have had such you know unhappy marriages and everything like that. So yeah, um, I did not know that about him. I find that absolutely delightful, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm also wanting to read. I haven't read it yet. The new book called Ida Mussolini by Caroline. Moorhead, and it's about it's a biography of the daughter of Benito Mussolini. Mm. She was his favourite daughter, 
Um, and um, she was married to, um, I think she was married to somebody who was high up in the fascist um, uh, bureaucracy and things. And it's it, it's a, it's a, it's being billed as not just a biography of her, but sort of um, a takedown of of fascist Sicily and 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 the dream that accompanied that. And I think that's quite interesting because I, I enjoyed reading the book about Stalin's daughter, and and these 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 people who who have to grapple with what what their fathers are doing. <laughs> and, yes. Yeah. So I'm it's, yeah I'm looking forward to that. The Edda Mussolini. That's not, that's another one on my pile. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I think there's just some really interesting different books out, and there's some great cookbooks as always. Um, yes. New Zealand as well as um, um, international ones. Um, I liked. I really liked um, the excerpts. And, and several weeks ago, there was an um, in in fresh the 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 Wednesday food part of the of the ODT. There was um, some excerpts from a book called Funal Kai, um, and oh, they sound the recipe sounded fantastic. And what's great with that is it's bi it's completely bilingual. Mm. Everything is in English and in Tereo, um, and you just read and pay attention to the bit that you can understand. And and actually, you find yourself looking to see what different words are in the in in the other language and stuff it, it's beautiful done. and the, the recipes sound fantastic she had one that was like you know yo-yos um, yes yo-yo biscuits yes. but put together with plum flavored um stuff in the middle and I just thought oh there's some good cooking in here um yeah so so I thought that looked really interesting and of course there's a whole range of of um international cooking um because people sort of have time for it in the summer Yes, and I don't know about you, but I just always love getting a, a cookbook. You might not, you might only ever use one of the recipes, but just being able to sit and look through yes. them, or, or just yeah. actually just possess it. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes it makes Yeah, it makes you sort of figure out things. And there's also, you know, Hanimao Elder who did mm. Aroha. She's got a new one out called Wawata, um, and it's about thinking about the moon. Um, yes. And and what and 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 the the ideas of bodily and spiritual sort of um, waxing and waning that go on with the moon, um, and I think it looks just as good as Araha. I think I think people mm. are going to find it really interesting. Yes, yeah. yes. I've started um, started reading Araha, and I like just being able to like just do one little section a day. It's almost kind yes. of like a mini meditation in a way yeah yeah uh, yeah and I, I saw the, the second one there so i'm thinking yes that's definitely going to be on my must must get list yes yeah and there's some good children's books again um mm. once again there's the annual three um is well we've had annual one and two and now there's annual three um there is gotcha from gecko press um which is another one of those fantastic lift the flap pop-up um type books um and um yeah there, there's just there's just some there's just some lovely stuff as well as the usual you know um diary of a wimpy kid and and david williams stuff yeah so yeah there, there's, there's all, some almost there's pretty much something for everybody once again yes and I'll, I'll, while while we talk about children's books i will give a wee plug for i i see that you have the uh, supporting the kiwi kids christmas yes. book um we have 
customers can you know, buy a children's book and it just goes in a basket and is then you know, given as gifts to um, children who may not get opportunity yes, to have it, family it, buy it's, books. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, simple way to um, make sure that people people's lives are enriched by books and um, children from zero to 18, basically. So you can select any book and we put it in the basket and, and then they come and collect them and they hand them. This year, I think they're going... Um, there's a couple of um, South Island um, groups that work with um, disadvantaged people, and so they will go to families that really need them. And I, I feel like it's a really sensible and helpful thing to do and, and to give out to people. And so, books are such, yes. a, such a wonderful way for children to escape <laughs> into, yes, into different exactly. worlds away from whatever circumstance yeah, they're in. Yeah, and always good yeah. with literacy. You know, there's so many big ticks there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, there's some there's some fascinating um books that you can choose, and you might want to choose. One. It doesn't and it doesn't matter if you see that somebody else has already put the book that you've chosen in there. They'll be going out to all sorts of kids all over the South Island. So it's it's really helpful to do that. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you've and, got all sorts of little bits and temptations at the shop. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, because we've got more room again. So so we've got sort of Christmas bit of stocking stuffer stuff going on yeah, the um, chocolates oh. yes yes the chocolate is always good and also this year we've have there's a there's a gourmet confectionery company in the uk called ask mummy and daddy and we have their cocktail collection in which is beautiful traditional old-fashioned looking packets of um non-alcoholic cocktail gummies so there's gin fizz prosecco rosé plain prosecco um, pina colada, mojito, um, and one other which I can't remember at the moment. And they are they are amazing. They taste fantastic, and they take they taste like but there's no alcohol in them. But they taste like they are. And like the gin fizz one, actually fizzes in your in your mouth. Um, and yeah, they're they're really quite special. So we've got some of those, and they're they're a really good price and a good addition to throwing in with other things that you have. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yes. Well, I, I know that, um, well, even after today, I'm definitely going to be going and getting the lessons in chemistry. Yeah. Book to yeah. go under the tree for me. Yeah, um, I think I think it's 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 a lovely one. It, 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 um, and sometimes that's you want something that is lovely to read, but not stupid and too easy. And hmm. and I think lessons in chemistry hits hits that on the on the button really, as does um the marriage portrait. Um some really serious things and ideas going on, but but written with a lightness of touch and um, seemingly effortless writing, really. Mm. <laughs> Wish I could do that. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a few. I've, I've said that to a few people and a few people have said that back to me. So, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rowan, for coming on the show and talking books. It's always such a pleasure and we could talk away for hours about um, actually, I could talk for hours about the books I've bought and not quite got around to reading yet, uh, yeah. which I do hope to do over the summer holidays. Uh, but it's always um, great to catch up. No problem. And yeah, people come in, ask, ask us for our recommendations. We all have different, slightly different ones and, and slightly different ideas about what might work for different people in your lives. And um, yeah, there's so many more I could talk about to you right now. And I love that also that you've got those little notes on some of the books with the book recommendations yes. uh, from, from yes. your staff as well, which is really helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So well, thank you so much. Up. 
Yeah. All right. And we will talk to you um, again in the new year. All right. Have a nice festive season. Happy Thank reading. You. Bye. Well, that's our show for this month. Thanks for listening in and also thanks to my guests today, Lawrence Fernley, talking about her new novel, Wintertime, and Bronwyn Wiley-Gibb from the University Bookshop with lots of hopeful ideas for Christmas and for holiday reading. We look forward to having more guests next month. And until then, enjoy lots of great reading and hopefully some nice books under the tree. The University Bookshop is evil because it tempts me so with its otherworldly, picture-perfect, just-smell-those-books-and-breathe atmosphere, with its staff who entice me with, Oh, look, have you read this? Or have you seen that? And we know you need this. With its cruelly situated right at the front so you trip over at New Zealand new releases table. And worst of all, worst of all, with the irresistible treasures in Book Lovers Corner, the University Bookshop is evil. You have been warned. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.